Now, I just want to give a brief introduction to our speaker this morning. Um, it's an absolute joy to welcome James Waddell and his team from Compassion. Compassion have been working for 66 years, drawing alongside some of the most needy and um, impoverished children around the world. And the way that Compassion works, as some of you know, is they work in partnership with local churches, um, facilitating folk like us to help reach out to, care for, and provide and, and help children out of poverty. And this uh, organization has been born out of that sense in scripture that we read of our, our, our duty, our call to care for the most needy and the poorest in our world. So it's a real privilege to have James and the team here. Some of you will know the organization Compassion. Some of you may, in fact, even be sponsoring children through Compassion. But James is going to um, speak to us this morning. So can we give a very warm welcome to him as he comes up now? James, welcome. Do you want to good. Good. Yeah, I'm all good. good yeah. uh, just some water, maybe? Yeah, I'm great. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. I have to tell you, I was in uh, an Afro-Caribbean church last Sunday, and when you say good morning, everyone, it sort of comes back at you in a wave. Now, I know we're in the center of Reading, and maybe we're a little bit more reserved here, but I'm going to try that one more time. Good morning, church. Praise the Lord. There's room for us in heaven yet. Thank you for that. Well, it is a privilege for me to be here this morning to uh, represent compassion. Uh, but more importantly, by the way, I've got my phone here. I'm not checking my texts or anything. I, I've got it on a, a clock just to make sure that I don't overrun. Um, but it's a privilege for me to be here to represent compassion. But more importantly, to represent the children that have no voice. And... Uh, Part of my responsibility this morning is to help us to understand that actually we can make a difference to children who have no voice. It's Christmas time. Are you excited about that? There's only two Saturdays to go. I just don't want to get you alarmed or concerned here. But if, like me, you haven't bought a present yet, you haven't bought a card yet, you have not done anything yet... There are less than, there's just over two weeks, there's only two Saturdays left, but it is an exciting time of the year. Uh, I guess we've all got memories of what it was like to be a child. It was fantastic to see so many children here this morning, and they will be getting hyper in the next week or two about Christmas. And we've all been there, you've been there, I've been there, and we get excited about it. We've got memories of early mornings when maybe your folks have just gone to bed and you just get up and they're just, what's going on? There's maybe a, an hour or two in between when they've been getting everything ready. Maybe it's the Queen's speech, used to be at three o'clock on a, every Christmas day. I don't know if it still is. Of course, you can probably stream it now. But anyway, there's the Queen's speech. Um, some of a certain generation certainly am like that. Morecambe and Wise Christmas show was they must not miss we might have missed the Queen's speech, but we didn't miss Morecambe and Wise. And in those days, there was no videos and there was no streaming. And if you didn't get it then, you were never going to get it. And so it all sort of led up to this. 
And everything about Christmas was all about this excitement, the joy of gifts and giving. And there is an abundance to Christmas. There is an abundance of joy. There is an abundance in the Oracle Center. You just have to go. I was there a couple of weeks ago shopping. Didn't get a thing. It was terrible. But anyway, I'm in the Oracle Center and there is an abundance of gifts, of food, of things to buy, things that we don't need, but we're going to buy them anyway because it's, you know, what do you get somebody? My mother is 94 years of age and I have this problem every year now. What do you get a 94-year-old for Christmas? You know, you can't can't get them a life subscription to, you know, a people's friend or something, you know, might not last very long, bless her. But she, what do you get a 94-year-old for Christmas? What do you get family members who have got everything they already need for Christmas because we live in an abundant society. This morning, I am going to hopefully inspire, certainly challenge us to think about beyond ourselves this Christmas, what can I give that will be meaningful, that will be intentional to make a difference in someone else's life? The passage that was read to us in Matthew chapter, we read actually together Matthew chapter 2, is about the Christmas story. Now, preaching at Christmas is a tough gig, I can tell you, because I suspect you might know the story already. But um, just checking. Um, But it is a tough thing to talk about Christmas in a way which is going to enlighten us, inspire us, and challenge us. But I do want to challenge us this morning. I want to challenge us to get beyond ourselves and begin to see that God has plan and purpose in our lives to be givers as well as receivers. And in this passage that was read, we see here a child born, says in a home, but it was actually a home stroke stable in very, very difficult circumstances. Uh, some of the carols that we sing talk about being lowly and the manger and all of those different things. But suffice to say, it was in a pretty desperate situation. Well, recently I was in Kenya with compassion and I was taking a group of people out to just see what it's like in some of these countries with some of the children that we seek to minister to. And I went to a particular home of a young man called Yusuf, a young man, he was a child actually, a boy called Yusuf and his mum. And he's a compassion child. And we were going to what I thought was a lowly circumstance and situation. And we were in Matari in, in Nairobi, one of the biggest slums in that country. And as with many of the slum areas, it starts off fairly broad. You know, you can get a car down it. And then the more you get into the center of the slum, it gets narrower and narrower. And, narrower. and by the end, you're almost having to turn sideways to get up this little alleyway. And we were walking through here and we came to a toilet. And in Nairobi, it's the communal long drop. I don't need to say much more to tell you what that means. I don't know if you can imagine a communal long drop that is shared by hundreds of people every day. So we are going to visit Yusuf and his mum. And we stop at this toilet and I think, well, what's, what's going on here? We were at his home. 
His home was the communal long drop. We walked into the toilet, and there was a, there was a curtain, and separating this toilet was a small 10 by 8 room, and his mum, single mum, and Yusuf are living in this toilet. And friends, that is poverty in many of the countries in which compassion works. That's lowly. That's desperate. But I can tell you, I have known the presence of the Lord in situations like that more than I could have known it in a cathedral. When we prayed for Yusuf and his mum, there was just a real sense of God's presence. When we asked them, what would you like us to pray for? If that was me, I'd be saying, pray to get me out of here. Pray to give me some wealth and some success so that my life can be different. But they said, no, please, can you just pray for health and for holiness? And that's very humbling. They saw beyond the circumstances and, and to them, God was good. God is good. And God was present in that very humble home. Poverty is not just the lack of finance or material things. It's much deeper and goes much greater and much further than that. Poverty, one of the, my colleagues describes poverty as being a lack of hope. The lack of a future that could in any way be different from today. So what does poverty look like? I could give you lots of statistics about poverty. I could tell you that there are 400 million children in the world today living on less than $1.90 a day. That's officially poverty. But poverty is Yusuf and his mum living in a toilet. I could tell you that there's 150 million children in enforced labor, working just to make ends meet and trying to put bread on the table for their families. But it's Yusuf and his mum, desperate, with no hope and no future for anything different. Poverty comes in many forms. But generally speaking, that lack of hope that lack of a future, the lack of anything being different. But God is someone who wants to meet us where we are poverty stricken. Some folks in this room will be in poverty. Poverty of a spiritual life. Poverty in connecting with God. Some of us will be in the poverty. There's one thing in the UK coming this Christmas there has never been a time when people have felt more isolated and more lonely. There is a poverty of community in Reading. And we as church are here to do something about that. Somebody in this fellowship might well be not looking forward to Christmas because they see families doing everything that they're doing and getting excited and sharing joy and sharing happiness and they feel out of it. They don't have a connection. Folks, we can make a difference to that. We can bring the gifts to Jesus' feet and we can worship him. 
It tells us in the passage that we read together that these magi, these wise men, they came from afar to give gifts to the king. They were compelled to make that journey and they were obedient to make that journey and they responded to God's call in their life to make the journey and to take gifts for the king. It's a hackneyed phrase nowadays, but we are all on a journey. We hear it every day. Oh, I'm on a journey to this and I'm on a journey to that. We are in life's journey and we are walking God's path. And God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And it's not just to be blessed, to come here on a Sunday, to enjoy singing, to enjoy worship. It is much more than that. It is deeper than that. God has a plan and a purpose for your life, and it is to make a difference to those who are around you and further afield. Tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that he has prepared good works for us to do in advance. I've got some news for you. It feels good to do good. You ever been in that situation? The, the, the world today calls it random, uh, random acts of kindness. And they've cottoned on to this random acts of kindness. We've got acts of kindness in the scripture, every page, every chapter. And God is saying, I want your acts of kindness. I'm going to use you to bring good to other people around about you. And by the way, when you do good, you're going to feel good. God has a tremendous way in his economy. As you bless, you will be blessed. Now, I'm not talking necessarily financially there, but there is that sense of well-being, of being in his plan and purpose. When you see someone's eyes light up, because actually you might have been the first person to say good morning to them this morning, and they've just connected with somebody for the first time this week. Friends, it feels good to do good. Are you looking for God's random acts of kindness for your life? These wise men, they responded. They went to another country. They went to a place that was afar off to make a difference in a child's life who was born in lowly circumstances. Compassion supporters and sponsors have been doing that for 65 years. There may well be, and I'm quite sure there will be, compassion supporters here already this morning. And thank you for doing that. You are making a difference in the life of a child thousands of miles away, just as these wise men took their gifts to make a difference to this small family. So do those who support compassion. Also met Justin this morning, and so do those who support World Vision. So do those who support those missionaries you've got on your back wall there, those families who are working for God in the circumstances that have placed them. But we have to bring our gifts, and our gifts will make a difference to many people's lives. We live in abundance. I'm talking to the vast majority of folks here who can actually decide and have a disposable income to decide what they're going to do with it. Many don't, but most do. 
And God has given us talent and gift and ways in which we can bless others. Your gold, your money, can fund an education and healthcare and social and spiritual development for children living in abject poverty. It's a one-to-one sponsorship and we encourage people to write and to pray and to engage with the life of the child that they are sponsoring. So your incense will represent the prayers that are seeking to see God's will come to that young life. The mirror that it talks about here in this passage, mirror is to bring comfort. It's to heal that which is broken and hurting Friends, God has given us the wherewithal to do that this morning for one another, but also for children living in desperate circumstances. Give your gifts. It is Christmas, and yet there is absolutely nothing wrong in buying that gift and wrapping it and giving it in Christmas morning and seeing the delight in people's face. But there's more for us. As God's children... As David said earlier, we have a responsibility to reach out to others. It is also a privilege to be able to reach out to others. Maybe it's someone here in this service. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe your neighbor is just waiting to get that Christmas invite to the carol service at three o'clock, five o'clock, and seven o'clock next week, just in case you've forgotten. I tell you, there is an epidemic of loneliness and you think your neighbor's not interested. I tell you, you reach out to your neighbor. You give them one of them and say, we care for you as a church. We're praying for our community. We'd love you to come along and just enjoy Christmas with us. Friends, how hard is that? For some of us, it's a bit hard. We might be introverted. We might be shy. That is a gift. That's saying you're known and God cares for you And please come along. I'd love to see you there. There are many ways in which we can give our time, our love, our care. And we're supposed to be givers. I have a number of child profiles with me. Children that are needing a sponsor. This is Quadwo. Quadwo comes from Ghana. And as a church, uh, David is keen that there are sponsoring children in a particular project in Ghana because hopefully it will grow a relationship and ultimately pray and fund and visit and connect with a church and a project in Ghana. And this is one of them. This is Quadwo. He lives with his mum. He's also single mum, family situation. But he also has particular uh, physical, critical physical needs. Quadwell needs a sponsor. He needs someone to get alongside him. And in a few minutes' time, I'm going to give us the opportunity to see, God, are you speaking to me about this? Is this something that I should be doing? But just before we do, I have a friend with me. His name is Ronnie. And Ronnie is, or was, Many years ago, Quadwo. Ronnie is a former, come on up, Ronnie. He's a former compassion child. And uh, I just want to share 
five minutes or so of Ronnie's story because I can talk about poverty and yet I grew up in poverty circumstances in Glasgow but I didn't know poverty like Ronnie knew poverty. I think we should give him a round of applause first of all. Thank you. So Ronnie, uh, just for seven minutes, okay, he had 10, but I, so for seven minutes, we're going to try and get your story. Can I just say good morning to everybody? Please. Oh yeah, good morning to you again, and good morning to everybody, in case I haven't said good morning yet, and peace be with you. And also with you. So Ronnie, we say that you were, tell us where you were born and the circumstances in which you were born into. So I was uh, born and brought up in Kampala in Uganda. And um, I think for me to describe the circumstances I was born in, uh, I wonder if any of you here has looked at a child, maybe the five or younger, maybe seven, and looked at them and said, oh, I know what this child's going to become. I certainly saw Hannah when she was lighting that candle. You know, she was fearless. She did that in first go. You know, she will be a brave girl, definitely. Um, I work in a primary school at the moment. uh, And I I look at children and you can tell some children. You can look at them and know definitely those who are going to excel, those who struggle and they will need help. I was that child who... When my teachers looked at me, when my neighbors looked at me, when anybody looked at me, they knew exactly where I was headed. I was headed to be nothing. Because there was no evidence whatsoever that I could be anything different. Because my family, for generations, were born in extreme poverty, were living in extreme poverty. My neighbors were exactly the same. That's the community I was in. So... That's the kind of circumstances I grew up in. Tell me how or what happened that changed that situation? Um, I would say uh, my sponsor reached out to me, I think, in a nutshell. Um, As one of those, you know, we were living um, on the outskirts of a university. In fact, it wasn't a university at that point. It was a polytechnic. Um, That's where my parents had moved to the city with the hope that maybe they will be able to get some work in the city and educate their firstborn child. And maybe, you know, their fortunes could change. Um, It helped that my father is called Joseph and my mother is Mary. It does. I, I don't know if it helped, but, but I was the firstborn child, so that really, really helped that as the boy, I was sent to school. So spare a thought for um, our lastborn child, Rita, who's a girl. Um, you know, if this is hope and this is hopelessness, she was below hopelessness. She had no chance at all. So they used to send me to school. Uh, you know, get whenever they get some money, pay the school fees and send me to school. Oftentimes it wasn't enough to last me a whole term. And on several occasions I would be sent back home for lack of school fees, you know, and they would say, come back after you've paid school fees. Um, One of these days I was sent home. Again, you know, my name was read out and we sort of knew what was going to happen. But instead of saying, 
the well-known go back home, come back after you've paid school fees, they said go to the head teacher's office. Now, my school, Chambogo Primary School in Kampala, if you're sent to the head teacher's office, there is no good news. <laughs> I had been there several times. Every piece of evidence pointed to the fact that it was a disaster. So, the, you know, about 60 or 70 of us all headed to this small office, which is not that far, all knowing what fate was waiting us. And maybe some of you here know that feeling when you're going through a situation and you're kind of resigned to the fact that I know what's going to end up like. But when we got there, we got good news. And that's what changed everything. I was told that I was going to get a sponsor. And this photo of me was taken. Um, I didn't put it on the screen because, you know, it's not the most Instagrammy kind of picture, but it's very important to me. So I keep it here and hold it in case you can see. And this photo was taken to mean that I was going to get a sponsor and I wouldn't have to worry about everything that worrying, what worrying me at that point. You told me before about one particular thing that happened that when you became a compassion-sponsored child, and excited about school and excited about healthcare, but you were given the gift of something I w- that just was so exciting for you. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you another one. I'll t- two gifts. This okay. one was so when we got to the head teacher's office, we were given like plain pieces of paper. You know, I was nine years old at that point, and all we had to do was to put it on the floor, trace out, trace out our, you know, feet. Because we were all bare feet. We did not have shoes at that point. And that, what that meant was we were going to get a brand new pair of shoes. Two weeks later, when those shoes arrived, there was like Christmas in February. You know, it was exciting. I couldn't believe that I owned a pair of shoes. Um, very shiny black shoes. And I kept them like a treasure. Whenever it rained, it was muddy and murky and everything. I did not wear my shoes to school. I wasn't going to let the mud get onto my shoes. (laughs) I would walk bare feet again. Um, But I really treasured those things. But then the other thing that happened, and this is going to happen soon because it's Christmas coming for every child in a project, is that you get a Christmas present from your sponsor. Now, maybe some of you know, some of you might not know, that when you pay £25 a month to sponsor a child... This, ch- this money does not go to the child in cash form. Mm. It's mainly good things done for us, mosquito nets, blankets, shoes, uh, and paying the school fees. We don't get to touch that money at all. But the Christmas present, that's for me. You know, we'd go to the project and they would tell us, right, you're going to get this amount of money. What are you going to get with this? And it was so exciting to, to think I could get well, not really anything because it's a limited amount of money, but to think that you've got options to actually spend your own money, that was another thing that was exciting. And so you, you mentioned there about your sponsor, just for the last couple of minutes, two things I'd like to cover is, you mentioned your sponsor and your sponsor sent a gift for you for Christmas. Tell us a little bit about your sponsor and how important it was that you were able to communicate with her. Oh, Jan Rice is amazing. I can only say she's an amazing woman. Um, Because the kind of thing she used to write to me and the kind of things she wrote in in a letter, I could not 
comprehend why she would write such good things to me. Um, one of the happiest days for a sponsored child is on a Saturday, like my project used to meet on a Saturday, when you go to the church where they are best and you look up on the notice board and you realize you've received a letter from your sponsor. It doesn't matter, even before you open it, it's so exciting to think this person has written to me. This is my own letter. This person's thinking about me. And that's what she, used, she did. You know, one of the very first letters she wrote was to um, tell me about her favorite scripture in the Bible. I can't even remember what it was. But what it made me do was to think, if I have to reply, well, I have to reply to my sponsor. I have to include my favorite verse in the Bible. I had never read the Bible, never used to go to church before compassion. But because of that, and having access to a Bible through the Compassion Project, I was able to read, open, flick pages of the Bible, come and just look at a nice verse and just write it back to her. But then the other thing, uh, about five years into the sponsorship, at this point, she, uh, she, you know, she has encouraged me, hope has, you know, hope has pushed me on, and I am into one of the best secondary schools in Uganda at that point. She asked me what I wanted to become when I finished school. I didn't know what I wanted to become. Um, but I wrote back, which I thought was really wishful thinking. I said I wanted to be a civil engineer. Uh, not because I knew what it meant. It's because we used to live, at this point, the polytechnic we used to live in had become a university. And we were living near the Department of Civil Engineering. And I used to look at those guys. They were holding equipment. They held big books. They looked happy. They wore jeans. They wore trainers. They looked cool. I wanted to be cool like those guys. So that's what I replied. And then I think she prayed about it. I think she wrote back to encourage me about how when we ask, God answers. But 12 years later, in that same university, I actually did graduate with a bachelor's degree in civil engineering. Whoa. Thank you. Thank you. So the input of your sponsor, Jan, was so important to you. Just one last thing. You mentioned your younger sister. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, folks sometimes ask me, well, why is it only one child per family that gets sponsored? Because the impact of sponsoring one child makes a difference to the family. And you tell the story about your sister. And I think that's fair enough when you think, oh, isn't it unfair? Other people not jealous at all. My sister Rita, uh, you know, because of the hope that had come into our two-roomed house. By the way, we stayed in the same house. We lived in the same community. And yet there was something different about it when I was sponsored. Um, hope was just coming, you know, in waves to us. We started to aspire. And, you know, my mother was then able to kind of take a risk, I would say it's a risk, to, to get a loan from a bank, started a chicken rearing business, and through that, my siblings also started going to school. And my last born sister, Rita, who was below hopelessness, you know, uh, two years ago, she graduated with a degree at university in statistics. You know, this was something that was never going to happen. And I think when people think about poverty or ending poverty. Uh, it's not just when you sponsor me, you're just sponsoring me. You are actually sponsoring the whole family. 
Um, and through your act of your gift and through your giving, I can tell you that actually we can end this cycle of poverty. I have seen it in my own life. You know, um, we have two children. My wife, Rachel, and I sponsor two children from Burkina Faso. And I see that, the, you know, the chain of poverty in their life is going to end. It will end. I have seen it because we've got a nearly three-year-old daughter, Emily, who is now officially the first child in my family to be born outside the cycle of extreme poverty. What a great story, folks. Let's, thank you so much, Ronnie. Bless you. Thank you. So just with the two minutes that we have left, that was an inspiring story. There are many stories like that. Ronnie's is just one of them. But as I mentioned earlier, we have a number of children who need someone like Ronnie had someone, Jan, to come alongside them and invest in their life. And for less than one pound a day, lives can be transformed, lives can be changed. And what I've been given permission to do is uh, something very un-British, um, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, I'm going to ask my colleagues just to come to the front here. We have got a number of profiles. And uh, if you can just come to the front, folks, that'd be great. I'm going to give you the opportunity to have a look at one of these. If something that has been said this morning has resonated with you, something that you feel God's speaking to you, I would like to have a look at one of these. Then I'm going to give you an opportunity in a minute. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. There's no obligation at this point. We're not asking you to sign up. We won't send the boys around, I promise. But we will. We want you to just have that opportunity to ponder and consider and pray and say, Lord, at this Christmas season, maybe there's a, another gift I should be giving. The gift of hope and a future to one of these young children. I'm going to pray for these uh, profiles. I'm going to pray for us. And then... As soon as I finish praying, if you want to see and have a look at one of these profiles, please put your hand up. If you have taken one, please come and see. There's a table at the back there. Please come and see us. We can help you to fill it in. We can answer some of your questions. Please don't take it away with you and say, oh, I'll fill it in when I get home. One out of 10 don't. Oh, sorry, one out of 10 fill it in when they get home. You probably won't be the one out of the 10 because that's just the way life is. It crowds in on us. So please don't take them home, but come and see us at the end and we're happy to answer questions. So let's pray. And Lord, we give you thanks for what we have, we have enjoyed this morning. Thank you, Lord, that we live in a country of great abundance. And yet, Lord, we also live in a country where many are poverty-stricken in relationship, relationship with you, relationship with their friends and their neighbors. And we just pray, Lord, that this morning something of what you've said would stir our hearts to be givers to be those who are looking for ways to bless others this Christmas season. But it's not all about spending money. It's about spending ourselves for one another and for those further afield. Lord, I pray for these children. Lord, I pray that you will speak into the hearts of some folks here who feel that they can stand alongside and invest in the lives of one of these children and even more. Because, Lord, we want to see that same transforming power of Christ in the lives of these children as well as in the lives of our own families and friends. So I just pray for the fellowship now that you, they would know great blessing 
And uh, Lord, that they would hear your voice and obey. We give you thanks for this. Amen. So if you would like to have a look at one of these profiles, please just put your hands up and one of the guys will come and just pass it to you. Thank you. So thank you very much, David, as we're finishing. James, thank you so much. Um, We want to respond in a few different ways here. So some of you will want to put your hands up and have a look at a profile and and, and just discern from God, is that for you? But all of us um, can pray. And James, we would love to pray for um, for the children, the organisation. Um, today, we also um, are going to pray for um, the election coming up yeah. this week. So um, can you just give us a steer, certainly on those first two? You don't have to comment on the election, James. Oh. But um, how I have can no we wisdom just, on that, for sure. Just some very brief points, and then I will guide us all how we're going to do it. But how can we be praying for Compassion and the children? Well, you know, Compassion UK uh, has... Um, we're in a new season. We have enjoyed God's blessing for more than 20 years of, of continued growth, more children being sponsored, more children being released from poverty in Jesus' name. But we have just taken the step of doubling the size of the church partnership team because church, we are the answer. God has given the answer to us. It's in our hands to make a difference. And so our trustees and our board said, we're going to double the number because we want to see more children released quicker. So we can pray for that. They've done it by faith. We're believing that God is going to do something amazing. Um, but in the end, it's about seeing lives transformed for Jesus' sake. Brilliant. Well, why don't we, um, the band are going to come back. Um, can I encourage us? We, I mean, how we pray in some ways doesn't matter. We pray with faith. That's what's important. We knock on the door of heaven to a God who loves you and me and who hears us. And so whether you want to just turn to the person next to you and pray together, that's mm. fine. Or if you want to sit there on your own and just pray before God, that is also equally fine. But we're going to take some time now to pray. And as James has just said, let's pray for this organization for compassion and the, the church's response in this nation. Mm. Because we risk becoming very comfortable in our country. And so we want to pray that we as God's people would respond. So let's pray for the church's response. Let's pray for some of you who've got profiles of children. Let's pray Mm. for the children as those profiles are handed around. But can we also please be praying for our nation? So I don't need to tell you, on the 12th of December, we will be voting. And we will vote in a, a new government. And we are called as God's people to pray for our country, for those in authority. We need godly wisdom. Everyone in this country, you and me included, needs godly wisdom and that God would be with whoever steps into authority. So let's um, either turn to the person next to us or on our own if you'd be comfortable doing that. Let's uh, spend five minutes or so praying and then we're going to turn back to worship. So let's pray together now.